0: I think for us and and our experience in Hong Kong, the, the cultural setting made us question the Bible, which made us a much larger Bible. And it speaks so powerfully as we discover how God works through a group as well as individuals. It's not either or, it's both and.
1: Welcome to Baptist Without an Adjective, a podcast of Word and Way. I'm your host, Word and Way Editor and President, Brian Kaylor. On this program, we'll hear from Baptists from across the denominational, ethnic, national, and ideological lines that too often divide us. At Word and Way, we've been informing and inspiring Baptists since 1896. Learn more about us at WordandWay.org. This episode is sponsored in part by the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. The Cooperative Baptist Fellowship is a network of people and churches working together to spread the hope of Christ. For more than 25 years, CBF has been driven by its mission to serve Christians and churches as they discover and fulfill their God-given mission. Join the fellowship at work in long-term global missions in more than 25 countries. Join them too as they strive to form healthy congregations and support the ministers that serve them. Put your faith to action. Visit cbf.net to get connected. In this episode, we're going to have a conversation with Harry Lusine. Harry's a retired pastor, but for many years he was a pastor in Hong Kong, and that's one of the main things he's going to be talking about. Not just Hong Kong itself and ministering there, but particularly the differences between a collectivist culture like you find in Hong Kong and many parts of the the world, throughout Asia and the Middle East in particular. So he's going to be talking about the differences between that kind of culture and what we in the United States and Western Europe live in, which is a more individualistic society. There's some really important differences that we need to know as we're working with and ministering with people from other contexts, but as Harry's going to explain, it also should impact the way those of us in individualistic societies read scriptures because the Bible was written to collectivist cultures. So I hope you find this to be an interesting conversation. It's also a very timely conversation Hong Kong and that whole region has been particularly in the news with the coronavirus. The church that Harry pastored, as he will mention, has been closed for a few weeks. We've been reporting about that and other communities of Baptists around the globe that are impacted by the coronavirus at wordandway.org. So you can find those articles there. So I think this is an important time for us to be thinking about and praying about our brothers and sisters in Hong Kong and, and across the globe as they're dealing with some very unique challenges, challenges that Let's be honest, they're now also facing many Baptists in the United States as well. So here's my conversation with Harry Lucenay. All right, well, Harry, first of all, thanks so much for joining us on the program. I'm glad to be with you. Now, I know that you've served in a lot of different roles, and we'll talk a little bit about your background in a moment, but the part of your life that I am most familiar with from your stories is we've worked together on the awards committee, the Baptist World Alliance, is your time in Hong Kong. And so I wonder if you can share about the church that you ministered at and your experiences in Hong Kong.
0: In 2003, we moved to Hong Kong, month of March. We arrived the very day they discovered the index patient for SARS, who lived, he was actually in the hotel about 150 yards from where the church put us up in an apartment. (laughs) We began our ministry there with people wearing masks in the congregation. Being from Texas, when the ushers wear masks, you have (laughs) great foreboding. Fortunately, that time passed and, and the church began to blossom. We had 30 nationalities in the church, give or take, at any given time. Now, a lot of the people were what I call alphabet Chinese. They may have been Australian Chinese. They may have been British Chinese. They may have been Canadian Chinese. They came from different parts of the world and they were in Hong Kong. Most of them were very well educated. They weren't all Chinese, but in our congregation, we were about 75 to 80% Asian. And we had people from Africa and Europe, and the U.S., we had less than 10% that we would call from the U.S. The, the church had been begun by cooperation between the Foreign Mission Board of Southern Baptist Convention and a Baptist church in Hong Kong. Over time, the Southern Baptist Convention decided to step out of English language international churches. That was about Midway through the struggle between Southern Baptist and Cooperative Baptist, and the church was very happy to just become Hong Kong Baptist. And as Hong Kong Baptist, we uh, participated in the Hong Kong Baptist Convention. We were free to participate in the Baptist World Alliance. We had our own mission projects that we did in different parts of Asia, primarily in different parts of Asia. The congregation was a joy to serve because they challenged you. And yet they respected face. They paid attention to face. So they didn't want to put anybody in a bad light.
1: We're going to come back to that concept of face in a moment. I do want to note though, this church has been very active in supporting the Baptist World Alliance. There's a a new award. It's going to be given out this summer for the first time on evangelism. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about, about that.
0: The church was approached in 2015 about giving the evangelism award. When Neville Callum talked to me about that, he asked specifically if we would support that, if we would underwrite it. I, I said, we're not going to be open to underwriting an evangelism award that is given to an individual or to a congregation for the most baptisms. That's not where we are. Now, what we will consider and discuss, pray about, is an award that will recognize that the gospel can be shared in in an individualistic way, with guilt and innocence as the theme, but it can also be shared in a collectivist culture, where honor, shame, or fear and power are the world uh, speak of world views, and. He said, well, I'm not real sure that I understand what you're talking about. And I said, we're concerned that evangelism not be labeled a decision. Decisions need to lead to discipleship. They don't need to be divorced from discipleship. We do not need a catch and release program for an evangelism program.
1: Yeah, so you're getting there. So let's talk about this, because as, as we've served together on the awards committee the last five years, you've talked a lot about individualistic and collectivist cultures. And I know that we could spend you know hours talking about the differences. There are large books. You gave me one of them that I read through, <laughs> a, a large, large tome on the differences. It's been fascinating to learn more about these differences. So I wonder if you could help us think about what are what are some of the key differences with a a more collectivist culture, and an individualistic culture? Because for most of us who are listening to this United States, we are in an individualistic culture. And so you're experiencing in Hong Kong something that's really different than American society. In a collectivist culture,
0: relationships are the key. You can walk up and maybe, maybe on a rare occasion, talk to somebody about Christ, and they tell you what they think you want to hear. However, if you want to see a long-term decision, then you're going to be addressing relationship, and you're going to have to give something of yourself to them. That means you're going to have to listen. You're going to have to get to know them and let them get to know you. Evangelism in that setting means that you're following the principle of Christ when Christ said, follow me. You're allowing somebody to walk with you and see what difference Christ has made in your life and began to probe you about that difference. Like one Chinese man said to me, look, I have my own business. I'm a member of a golf club that cost me a million dollars. Now that's a Hong Kong million. But he says, I play golf anytime I want. I have a wonderful wife. I have two great kids. I have everything anybody could want, but you have something I don't have. I want to know about Your life makes a difference and your life becomes part of opening that door. Now, it wasn't that he had never heard me talk about Christ. He had, but he wanted to know what it was that was inside me that was different. He came to know Christ and he came to become, a wow, he was a great, great man walking with God and he was real. He was real. Uh, he taught people how to play golf because he loved to play golf. He, uh, and, and, and in that process, he prayed with them. He loved on them. He taught kids. He sang in choirs. He, and when he developed a brain tumor, he walked through that experience all the way to death, never losing his relationship with Christ and never being afraid to talk to people as he journeyed with that, about the reality of God's presence with him where he was. Now, that's different in many people in Hong Kong because many people may come to Christ because a prayer is answered and they're healed. But staying with Christ when they get sick again is another story. He stayed with Christ all the way through the living and dying process in his life. So in in your journey of sharing faith, you you live out of who you are, but you are not afraid to talk about who you are. You're just not looking to score points with leading this person to Christ. You're you're looking to build a relationship that you can grow with. I remember a Chinese girl came to our church and said, can anybody here tell me how to be a Christian? (laughs) How many times have you heard that when you were in an American church? I put her with my my wife, and my wife sat down with her, and and she said, you know, I have been to church in China and tried to buy a Bible, and they wouldn't let me buy it. They wouldn't even let me come in. said, I got a uh, relative who visited Hong Kong to get me a Bible. I began to read in the Bible, but I didn't understand it. When I found out that I was going to do graduate work here in Hong Kong, I looked for a church that was close to my school, and that's why I came here, And she looked at my wife and Linda said, I think I can understand more about Jesus if I go in the door than if I stand out and ask questions. Tell me how to become a Christian so I can learn about Jesus. And my wife met with her every week for over a year, just going through her questions and going through the biblical responses to things. That girl's a strong Christian, back in mainland China today, living out a faith. She brought her parents to me to talk to and to visit with, and they said, "We've never seen this before. We don't understand this, but we're very interested in what's
1: happened to our daughter." That's part of the relationship issue. You mentioned earlier the concept of face. I wonder if you could talk about what do you mean by that? Every person has face.
0: Face is an issue that ties to identity. I was I was used to being in okay, I'll say it, Texas Deacons meetings and <laughs> in some Mississippi deacons meetings too. But you know, in some of those meetings, we're very, very straightforward in what we think and what we believe. And The devil may care how it comes out. It just comes out. If their bodies left in the road, their bodies (laughs) left in the road. Sometimes I felt like one of those bodies. But nevertheless, in Hong Kong, the deacons means totally different atmosphere. They listened to what other people said. If you said something that was dead wrong, you could look around the room and tell because all of them had their heads down and they were trying to figure out whether you needed to be corrected. If so, did it need to happen now? If so, who would be the right person to do it so that you could save face? So face became part of your identity, part of your way of handling things and put downs were not acceptable. Running over somebody was not acceptable. And a lot of Asian cultures, if there are differences between people, there's a third party going to be involved so they can talk to the third party. and The third party can talk to either one as somewhat of a mediator or negotiator to help bring them back together. In In our meetings where we had decisions to make, for instance, the meeting to make the decision about this evangelism award when I took it to the deacons, we had already, I'd already worked with the treasurer about how we could finance it. And we both had come up with the same approach to it, though I didn't tell him what I was thinking when I went to him, and he didn't tell me what he was thinking until he came up with his decision. But we went to the deacons, and and we explained it to the deacons, and the deacons were clearly divided. They were 50-50 and it was clear in their conversation that they were divided. It wasn't a matter of voting. Well, we got the end of the meeting. They said, what do we do? I said, well, we're not together. We wait till next month, and uh, we waited. The next month, we came, and we weren't any more together than we were the previous time. My chairman said, what should we do? I said, let the men talk to each other by themselves, and let's see what happens. (laughs) We met another time, and and they were divided, and 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 uh, but they were still talking. And they said, "Does the Baptist World Alliance need to know our response?" Well, actually, the Baptist World Alliance would have liked to have known our response probably two meetings before. But I said, "They've asked us to underwrite this project. We're the ones they're wanting to pay for it. Until we're united." we're not giving a response. They said, okay. Well, it took about two more meetings before they were unanimously for it. And nobody put pressure on, but they they came to that. There was no loss of face. They just worked through the process. And I, I found that uh, we did that in many different ways in the life of the church. Or, you know, there's something to respecting people, the identity of Christ in people, and and not taking the judgmental approach that presumes to understand why you did what you did and the way you did it, but is open to hearing what you
1: have to say. We'll be right back. But first, I want to let you know about a couple of special offers from Word and Way Magazine. You enjoy the podcast. But if you're not a subscriber to our award-winning monthly magazine, you really are still missing out. And I want to make it easier for you to try it. $9.95 for one year, that's 50% off. All you have to do is go to tinyurl.com slash www.offer. That's tinyurl.com slash www.offer and try out our monthly magazine and I think you're going to really enjoy it. And for those of you who are subscribers, thank you. If you would like to help some of your friends at your church also subscribe to Word & Way, we have an offer for you as well. We'll send a bundle of issues from one month that can be distributed for free at your church so that other people can check out Word & Way and see why they too should want to subscribe. And all you have to do is go to tinyurl.com slash www.bundle and we will send that free bundle to your church to be distributed. That's tinyurl.com slash www.bundle. Now here's the rest of our conversation. And of course, this isn't just important information as we're dealing with people from other cultures. But this also, for those of us who, particularly who come from an individualistic society, this impacts, it should impact, the way we read scriptures. And I wonder if you could help us understand maybe a couple of examples of, of why understanding a, co- a collectivist society, why that's important when it comes to the way we, we read the Bible.
0: Well... I believe that the, new, the the Bible itself is written to a collectivist culture. It is written to a culture that is primarily honor-shame, although there are clear elements of fear and power. And yes, we go through Romans and we see Paul's guilt and innocence. Very much so. But we were in Myanmar a few months ago, and, and my wife was teaching a, a lesson On the woman at the well, and as you read through that process, one, you see Jesus talking to this woman, cross-cultural. He is talking to a woman in a way that gave her face. She was able to maintain integrity of who she was, even if she didn't feel like she had integrity. The text never says she was a woman of loose morals. It never says that.
1: We, we often add that.
0: We add that. But it is quite possible in that culture she had been divorced. It's quite possible in that culture uh, she had been abandoned. It's possible in that culture she had been through widowhood several times. Maybe the man that she was living with who wasn't her husband was her brother or her uncle. It was a totally different setting. We have our own preconditioned ways of seeing that. When she goes into the community, she goes into the community and the community hear her. They're, they're involved in hearing what she has to say. Culturally, we need to pay attention to the fact that we've been pre-programmed to read things certain way. You take David and Bathsheba, you know, David's walking out on the the porch one night and and he looks out and he sees this beautiful woman uh, bathing. What we don't consider is that she may very easily have been taking the ritual bath that followed the time of the month. It may very easily be that she wasn't intended for anybody to see. And when she was taken to him, do you think nobody else in the, in the, place he lived in the palace knew about that everybody knew about it and in a collective culture they all knew that she had been sent away that is a direct loss of face for her the chance is that her husband Uriah had already heard what had taken place he may very well have chosen to not go home for reasons other than what we might assume at that point. We need to look at our assumptions to uh, figure out how these things work and what takes place with them. And as we read the text, we've often talked about reading the text in context. When we talk about that, we think about the six verses before and the six verses behind, <laughs> when really in a lot of the passages of scripture, you ought to go back four or five chapters and forward four or five chapters to see a larger context, but when we talk about context, it's more than black and white on pages. Context is cultural context. What was the way a culture handled things in those days? Well, in the biblical times, a culture handled things according to what the man of the house said. He called the shots. Your flipping jailer makes his decision, commit his life to Christ, Lord help me, It says he and his household are baptized. Now I've had people say, well, every one of them prayed and asked Jesus to forgive them sin and and become their savior. That's not how it happened in those days. If he said he was going to follow Christ, everybody else in the family followed Christ. That's the way the household followed Christ. We need to understand that's part of the text that's there. So I think for us and, and, and our experience in Hong Kong, the the cultural setting made us question the Bible, which made us a much larger Bible. And it speaks so powerfully as we discover how God works through a group as well as individuals. It's not either or, it's both and.
1: Yeah, as, as you're talking about this, we had for our subscribers who read in the January issue of the magazine. You're quoted in, in the article on this. And there's, there's an article about collective and individualistic cultures. And, and there's also a section in that piece about how in the English language, we have the you, the word you is both a singular and a plural. And so as we read through the Bible, we read these passages, and we see you, and we think, me, right? But in reality, a lot of the you in the New Testament, particularly that we're reading in the Greek, is actually a plural you. so I I think that we probably read the scripture a little bit differently than people in a collective society, like the original listeners to Jesus, the original readers to Paul's letters, they're, they're they're reading. And I'm thinking, you know, there's the, there's the y'all Bible app that helps you actually see on the screen when it's a you plural. And as a native Texan yourself, I assume that you probably appreciate that (laughs) that understanding of the difference between you and y'all. Right, Uh, And so it really does start to change the way we read some of these passages to realize that, yes, there is that individual call, but there is a very strong community call throughout the scriptures.
0: One of the problems that we have, have run into in our faith is that we have led people for the last 40 years at least, and actually longer than that, we've led them to make individual commitments. And that individual commitment has been loosely tied with the church. We want them baptized. We're Baptist, you know. <laughs> we want them baptized, but we have not done a great job of integrating them in the life of the church unless they're our children. But if you go back and look at the numbers over the past 70 years, the majority of the people we baptized has been our children. Check the numbers. I'm not kidding you. And And when we look in the community and try to bring these people in, sometimes the people have a very difficult time getting their names on our dance card because we already have enough going on. We don't have room for these people in our lives. The only place we have room is if somebody moves and we maybe get somebody or if they really push to get in, they can get in. But the U is very definitely a very big part of the New Testament. And when, if you read the book of Ephesians, the original doesn't have Ephesus in it. It talks about, it's an open thing. Was it, was it written to Laodicea? Is it the Lost Book of Laodicea? Some people think so. But it's expected and believed that those letters went from church to church to church to church when he's talking about you, he's talking about that group that's there. And they didn't have individual copies of the Bible. They had one person reading it to them. And that person read that letter to them. And you was for all of them. You know, we're we're living in a time in history when we have our own copy. And so we read it individualistically. But in that culture, they had one copy. And there are still parts of the world today where the people read from a single copy and they memorize. And in some places, one person memorized one chapter, another person memorized another, another memorized another. And that's how they share it with each person chipping in. Maybe in our laziness to memorize scripture, we ought to practice that. That'd be a good summer
1: project. <laughs> Well, we've talked a lot about this concept. I, I want to ask because you spent several years in Hong Kong and you've traveled a lot in that part of the region since then, continuing to minister. You, minister, you mentioned that you were in Myanmar. You were supposed to be going to Bangladesh, is that right? right. But with the, the new virus that right. y- you uh, all have postponed that trip. So what are some things that Americans need to know about Hong Kong outside the individualistic and collectivist culture kind of differences? Just this this, what do we not know about Hong Kong that we should know?
0: Well- the city is um, the largest number of uh, religious devotees are, are Buddhist or Taoist. The, that actually probably includes a whole lot of animist. There are traditional religious folks and the traditional religion is ancestor worship. Now we miss that a whole lot. But the Lausanne Conference a number of years ago, probably 30 years ago, said that the West needs to wake up to the way the majority world sees the extra spiritual life and sees the work of these people. The ancestors are part of the family. The family, many of these homes have ancestor, they'll have an ancestor shrine in the home. And, and somebody's given the responsibility to light the joystick and to provide the food every day for that ancestor those ancestors but they worship that ancestor and at certain times of the year they have grave sweeping where you go and and you bow down to the to the ancestor and pray why because they don't want the ancestor to put a curse on them and that's very real in the world we have about Uh, max five percent Christian in Hong Kong. There are some very large churches in Hong Kong. The Christians in Hong Kong are very, very interested in mission work. Let me give you an illustration of that. In 2008, there was an earthquake in China, in Sichuan province. The whole city erupted in concern for Sichuan and the people there. Our church looked at the looked at the situation said we want to do something i had been in china once before and i had seen a church take their whole morning offering and give it to a chinese lady from los angeles and say to her we want to be a part of building a great mission church in los angeles give their whole mission offering now, there were a thousand people there that day, our whole offering, not mission offering, whole offering as a mission offering. They gave her the equivalent, a thousand people gave her the equivalent of $165. They were rural people. They didn't have much money, but that was a whole offering that they had. I thought about that. And so I went to our church leadership and I said, I want to give the whole offering to the BWA Baptist World Aid, to give to help in this situation in China. To the person, let's do it. My wife made one correction to my thoughts. She said, announce it one week, take the offering the next week. I said, that's brilliant. We'll do it. <laughs> and so the next, I announced it. I had people come in my office and say, uh, now I want to understand what we're doing and how we're doing this. I want to be a part of it. The church gave the equivalent to 300000 U.S. dollars on that Sunday. In that year, that was equivalent to 40% of the church budget.
1: So you didn't just give one Sunday. They gave an extra big Sunday. They gave an extra big
0: wow. Sunday. Extra big. Now, the neat thing was we never missed budget that year. The offering did not sink. Nothing failed. When it came time to deal with this, the church underwrote this, didn't miss a beat. And that's while trying to raise an enormous amount of money for a building.
1: Because it's expensive there.
0: The church may pay between five and ten million dollars for the airspace above the building the church now has as land premium. Uh, that five to 10 million will be set by the city and it will, that is a U.S. number.
1: What five are to that? $10 million to own the land, or own, the, own air, the air, air above, above the, building.
0: the building. Yes. Yes. It's expensive. Now you ask what you deal with. Please understand that as of today, March 2nd, 2020, most of the churches in Hong Kong are not open. They're worshiping on air by video because the people are afraid to come together. Uh, The city has canceled many different aspects of gathering crowds in the city. The restaurants are open, not, not normal, about half a week. The hotels are at half price. You can't get around the city. And this follows about six months of, Heavy protest that have been in the streets, where and the protests as we've seen them are kind of single ideas, but you you would have people protesting, and walking down the street side by side with people who were protesting, the first people. So they're protesting each other. They're they're not a single issue. They're about seven or eight issues. The people in Hong Kong, we found the people in Hong Kong to be extremely gracious, extremely thoughtful very interested in seeing their friends and family come to Christ. I remember being in a a gathering around a meal, and the host would say, now, this is my friend Robert, and he's eating with us tonight. In fact, he helped fix the meal, but he doesn't know Jesus. Now, that was code language. The code was, when you thank God for this meal and your prayer of grace before the meal, Pray that Robert comes to know Jesus, and I would pray that Robert came to know Jesus, and then Robert would thank me for praying for him. That's cultural
1: difference. I have one last question for you, and and I, I don't want to gloss over the other decades of your life. So I'm curious. So how did a how did a Texas boy like yourself end up in Hong Kong? I mean, what, what was your your life journey to that point?
0: Well, probably the marker i ought to go back to this boy was born in waco texas i went to baylor met his wife at baylor but when i was a a 16 year old i went to glorietta and the theme of the week was so send i you and though i never went forward god stuck that on my heart and that marker has been with me all of my life i've served churches in texas and certain churches in mississippi and had wonderful experiences in churches. And I've had some experiences I really wouldn't wish on anybody. But that's that's the way <laughs> pastor life goes. When Hong Kong contacted us, they assumed that we knew that they had our name. I had absolutely no idea. fact of the matter is, the only way I remembered, I'd been in Kowloon one time in 1994 when I was on a Baptist World Alliance trip, but I was only there overnight. Prior to that, when I was 13, my dad bought me a suit that was made in Hong Kong. And he was so thrilled because the pockets held water. I don't know why you need a suit with the pockets holding water, but um, that literally came to mind when they they contacted me. But we we discovered that that was a, a delightful experience in stretching. I've never been to a church where people would come and say, "Can can you tell me about the God I've been told all my life doesn't exist?" Where a girl seven years old prays and receives Christ and she dies shortly thereafter with cancer. And 40 people come to know Christ because this little girl opened her heart to Christ. But that's part of collectivist. They connect, 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 connect. Her aunt sat on the on the bus with me after as we were going out to the gravesite. After the funeral, I'm trying to collect myself because children's funerals are hard. And she said, uh, I didn't know her aunt. She said, may I sit here? And I said, sure. She said, how do I tell my 10-year-old daughter back in London where Chelsea is? What's going on? I said, are you a believer? She said, no, but I'd like to be. Well, here we go. And, and uh, I can tell you that she prayed, received Christ, and that she went home, became active in her church, and actually became involved in some mission work in Korea, South Korea, and then uh, has, has grown, and, and that word just spreads.
1: Well, Harry, thanks so much for being on the program with us, but really, even beyond that, thank you so much for your. Faithful witness all these years and all that you've taught me on these topics that we've been talking about. It's been a joy to serve alongside and to work with you.
0: Hey, it's been a joy to be with you. And I've enjoyed working with you. I've learned from you. In fact, I quoted you on something this morning in a meeting I was in. Oh, no, it's dangerous. It was good. But I would say that these, these years have been, um, God hit some straight licks with some crooked sticks. <laughs> yeah, I'm amazed sometimes at, at what God does, but I'm, I'm thrilled to be in the world of, of learning and, and uh, discovery. It's kind of fun to, to get to hold a Bible that I've read 40 times, and that's somewhere around that, and, and, and all of a sudden see a much wider view and still know that at the heart of it is Jesus Christ. And his salvation is much more comprehensive than we sometimes give him credit for.
1: Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Baptist Without an Adjective. You can learn more about the Kowloon International Baptist Church in Hong Kong at hkkibc.org. That's hkkibc.org. As always, you'll find us at wordandway.org. And don't forget to check out our sponsoring partner for this week's episode, The Cooperative Baptist Fellowship at CBF.net. If you've enjoyed this episode, I hope that you will share it with your friends on Facebook and head over to iTunes or your favorite podcast platform and write a positive review to help more people find the show. You can find easy to share links at podcast.wordandway.org. If you'd like to give to support this program, we greatly appreciate it. And all you have to do at wordandway.org is hit the donate button. And whatever you give there will help support the production of this podcast as well as our website and monthly magazine. Speaking of that magazine, don't forget those special offers. You can try one year for 50% off at tinyurl.com slash Offer. And you can get a bundle of free copies of one issue to pass out at your church at tinyurl.com slash Bundle. If you have any comments or feedback about this program, please send them to me at bkaler at wordandway.org. Thanks for listening.